Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to God. I hope Stallone makes it through. <laughs> I totally forgot he was in the Marvel universe, and now I want him desperately to be one of the lone survivors. That's awesome. <laughs> Alright, um, so today's podcast we're going to talk about uh, this is <laughs> Wow, no. Alright, um, I was going to say we're going to be doing Avengers Infinity War, uh, a recap and a discussion um, about, because this movie is, um, I don't know if you've heard, extremely popular. So, I just want to start off with our initial reactions to the movie. Uh, Thad, you go first. You're the comic book nerd. I enjoyed it for what it was. Like, it's one of those movies where it's completely fun about what it is. And so, uh, on one hand, it's exactly what it says it's going to be. And I was never bored, like we talked before. Like, I never felt like I was watching a two and a half hour movie. Right. And it's not. Well, the Russos are really good, despite the origins being in television comedy, really good at capturing action in a very clear, distinctive way that allows you to know where all the players are and still allow for a sort of breathlessness and a rhythm of pacing. Yeah. Well, okay. Did you see that video I sent you? Uh, the the one I sent you today. Right. Did you watch it? So, like, what I got from them is a very sort of like. An understanding of how technically competent they are and how and what they look for in a scene and what they look for in a scene is to not give you any kind of visual information but to make it dramatically and dynamically interesting whereas if you watch Ryan Coogler there are stories within stories within the frame <laughs> Breaking down a shot or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Right. It makes the scene pop. Right, it's a very workmanlike movie. Well, and this is, um, we talked a little bit about Milos Foreman in the last episode. And Milos Foreman is kind of like Sidney Lumet, and very much like Ryan Coogler and Black Panther, in which there is a style, it's just you don't notice it. And Sidney Lumet used to always say, uh, or it might be Lumet, I always forget how it's pronounced. He used to always talk about, like, people come up to me and go, I never noticed how you did such and such in a movie. And I say, well, good, because if you did notice, I wasn't doing my job. There's a school of director who doesn't believe you should notice everything he does when you watch his movies. Like, when you watch 12 Angry Men, it never occurs to you that he's moving the walls closer and closer to make it feel more claustrophobic. That's a piece of trivia you pick up from other people. Much like, I didn't know the thing about the Pan-African flag and the color structure in Black Panther. But, but... (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it's also... It's... Well, it's almost... uh, uh, Harkens back to silent cinema. And uh, when Kurosawa made movies, he used to tell his actors to have... Make sure you have one sort of exaggerated physical trait for your character. To show him a funeral? Right. Well, because he, he, you do that, so that way when you have more than one person on screen, the audience automatically recognizes who everyone is. It's... Oh. Oh, something like an autobiography is a beautiful... <laughs> um, but no, like, and that is a sort of... It's an elementary way of filmmaking that is still very powerful. And what that color scheme does harkens back to that as, like, it helps you identify the character. And while I was never confused who was who, there were, one of the biggest pet peeves I had about Infinity War is the characters would talk. 
and they would get close to saying something really interesting, but then they would stop to talk about what they need to do to fight Thanos. Well, like, the moment Tony talks about this guy's been in, been haunting my dreams or nightmares for six years, I was like, yes, I want to, what, oh, we're done talking about the PTSD? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, real quick, you mentioned Avengers, the first one. Joss Whedon, for all his faults, his ability to sum up a character in a line of dialogue is voodoo. And and so much of why the first Avengers works is because he does that. I apologize for that weird sound I just made. But <laughs> but part of the reason Avengers works is because we understand these characters within moments of them speaking and we understand the relationship to each, each other within moments of their interaction. Like, it's very much like he's, he's written comics before, you can tell, because he gets it out of the way in a way that's digestible, under, easily understood by people who just walked into this movie. Infinity War requires you, nay, demands you watch, at the very least, 16 out of the 18 movies beforehand, which... Right. 
Well, not only that, it's hubris to, like, expect an audience to sit through, at the very least, a good 24 hours of film to see, get ready for this one. Right. 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 Well, <laughs> well, not just that, but like it's short-sighted because that may be you might be able to make the argument of well, the internet makes it easier for people to consume media now more than ever. You can catch up before you go see a movie. I'm like, that's true now. But what happens four or five years down the line when now Marvel movies aren't easily accessible anymore? Now what you need to buy... Well, not only that, but Disney's already going to be operating its own streaming system within the next year or so. You're going to have to pay for that. So if you can't afford that, well, good luck getting able to bone up on the knowledge you need to enjoy one movie. And... Oh, yeah, no, spoilers, by the way. Spoilers all goddamn day long. (laughs) It took all my goats. I started with five, and I ended with a tail. Yeah. Well. Not only that, but then those same people, when you do have a complaint, will say, well, they'll answer that in another movie. And I'm like, what? Hence, not a complete movie. <laughs> well right yeah I will say, what really sort of baffled me was, not only did, like, does that sort of, like, 
dilute the emotional impact of not even deaths, but the erasure of existence. But so does also how they film it. Because the only one that really moved me was Peter Parker. And that was because they actually let him have a reaction. Like, even Bucky's like, Steve, drop gun, banish me. That was... I... Were you trying? (laughs) I'm not even... But, like, even... Even Groot's slow vanishing didn't register. Right. Okay, the movies you mentioned, aside from Guardians, those are movies also sort of... Black Panther acknowledges that they've closed themselves off to the rest of the world, and part of the climax is them embracing the rest of the world. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, we actually see other people who aren't superheroes. Um, Thor Ragnarok, we see the sort of consequences and... Right, right. Not, not just that, but like we see other people. Infinity War only deals with superheroes to the point that when half the universe gets wiped out, all we seem to give two shits about are the heroes until the post post credit scene. What? Right! <laughs> right. Well, I'm just like, you know, it would have been nice to see people who aren't heroes vanish, or people who have worked with them who aren't heroes vanish. Like, it's... Right! (laughs) Right.
Well, not only that, but can we just talk about how Thanos is a giant procrastinator? <laughs> My personal favorite is just like at the beginning of the movie, I'm just like, wait, he only has like one stone? Wait, 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 wait. Shouldn't we be fun? We've been doing this for like 18 movies in almost a decade, and only one stone? How badly do you want to wipe out the rest of the race, man? Get on it! Show some initiative! <laughs> it's like, okay, no, okay, can I just real quick? It felt like, you know that tel- that game show where you have like five minutes to buy $200 worth of groceries? Yes! Thanos is the, is the epitome of the supermarket sweep and his grand plan of a quasi-genocide. Oh shit, I got two minutes. I wonder if I can do it. Josh Brolin's amazing performance. <laughs> uh, I knew that in Grindhouse because he gave a, such a fantastic Nick Nolte impression. I forgot it wasn't Nick Nolte until I looked him up. I was like, that's not Nick Nolte? <laughs> But no, and let's 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 point out that that's not makeup; that's complete CGI. So, and yet another slap in the face to the DC Warner Brothers comic universe. We were given a apocalyptic, completely CGI, two dimensional character done better than this. Also, uh, just real quick, it is n- one of the weaknesses of Marvel's franchise style of storytelling is it's so, so abundantly clear that they just came up with Affinity War like last year. Right, because otherwise the line in the credits, post-credits scene of Avengers, the him smirking, it means it's meaningless. <laughs> Awesome. I have not. (laughs) Well, he's James Spader.
Whoa, no. <laughs> well, I know, I know Thanos, uh, or, uh, mission in the comics, the court death, is basically a giant sort of lust slash stalk of lady death, the personification of death. Not only that, but this logic is flawed by just basic logic standards because we see him doing that with the baby Gamora, and I'm like, you know, that's not half the planet, that's half the town. <laughs> it's like, you gotta, I, I find it hard to believe. This is one of the things, like those science fiction things, where you walk, they, they view an entire planet by one town. It's like, planets are bigger than a town. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um but that I th- I know why they didn't want to deal with that because it's complicated and also the Russos don't do complicated political statements. And I mean this even acknowledging that Captain, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is widely acknowledged to be the most political or the first political Marvel movie they ever made. But the political statement within it is, we don't like the government spying on us, which, newsflash, libertarian, communist, socialist, democrat, republican, all have that same one basic fucking concept. No one likes that. It's a pretty fucking, <laughs> you plateau on politics at that point. Right. Right. And then we have to make a compromise. I also think that, like, they were very wary about how the relationship would come off. 
because I was talking to a lady at work, and she's like, she's a huge comic book nerd, and I, she's like, do you know Thanos, like, story in the comics? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he stalks Lady Death. It's like, yeah, but Lady Death is kind of a tease. And I'm just like, reason number 4,035 why they probably didn't want to touch this. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm much more fascinated by the notion of Death being personified. Because it is so utterly disappointing to show up for the Soul Stone to see Red Skull. And then, like, me going, wait, so why do we have... The soul stone? Is there a will stone? Is there, like... If we're going to be into metaphysics, like, why is this on a... I don't understand. I don't say, I love crazy hallucinogenic Steve Disco books. Right, which uh, which I must say is a pretty daring move. Which and this is the, and this is the weird thing: a lot of things in this movie are pretty gutsy, especially for what this type of movie is and what it's trying to do. And this has never been done before. And this is inherently a very gutsy movie, but because it's being like a comic book, anyone who's ever read a comic book is now inherently going. Yeah, and even people who don't read comic books, like, like if you're a nine-year-old child, this movie is devastating to you. If you're an adult, which is basically the core audience, <laughs> they're like, I, I, I'll wait for part two. I'm sorry, I mean the second one. The failing of this movie is the fact that it gets so close to being about something really interesting or even broaching talking about something complex and how it scoots back so we can just have a seamless, cohesive movie. Right. That's like low, like I. That's like a, a something like narratively functional thing you do, and you said, right. Right. 
Right. Well, I'm reminded of passengers, and was uh, passengers had the same Jennifer Lawrence? Yes, yes, Jennifer Lawrence and Christopher Pratt, and then Lawrence Fishburne shows up for a hot minute, and it's amazing, and then it goes away. Um, but there was a problem within the movie in which he intentionally wakes her up because he falls in love with the idea of her. And then it basically dooms her to an existence of only him. Right. Right. And she calls him out on it. And it's one of the things where the director... Like, critics were like, okay, do you understand how... I don't think you meant to, but the movie narratively justifies this. It's like, yeah, no, no, it's absolutely wrong. It's like, yes, but you give him a hero's death. That you, you, It cancels out. And this kind of happens with Thanos. And like... They're not meaning to make him to be the hero, but because the narrative really sort of sides with his opinion because the arguments against Thanos are duh bullshit arguments, but they're also cool and calm and collected. And had someone go, well, why not just redouble, just double the the supply of everything? Just if If you're worried about... Well, not only that, but someone, no, no, someone just confronting him with the notion of, well, then just snap your fingers and end world hunger. End poverty across the galaxy. Because, in a weird way, you would have covered, you would have, like, gone back to the theme that was present in Black Panther. 
the notion of colonialism and just be like challenging that theme even more. I'm like, there's a way to do this and not be sort of like, well, he's a bad guy because he's a bad guy. Which, no shit. Right. Well, I will say, and like, because, like I said, Brolin is just so magnetic. <laughs> well, it's one of the things where, like, part of the problem with having, because the same guys who wrote this are the same guys who wrote Civil War, which is the other Marvel movie the Russos did. Right. I want, like, it's one of the things where I don't know, like, like they, they have a script, but it doesn't feel like anyone, like, there's so much input from everyone else on individual characters that I'm like, that's cool. Did anyone look at the story? Because the Guardians feel off when the movie starts. Like, the song they choose that they sing along to feels like a song someone trying to be James Gunn would choose and not a song that James Gunn would choose. <laughs> like, it feels like, it's just like, okay, that's a really, that feels like you're trying and the singing along and there's just something about, like, how they interact and, like, it feels forced and then Hemsworth shows up and it starts to be a little bit fun because, as I said in my review, Hemsworth is just able to be the most charming person in the room at any point in time. Well, well. apparently, as written, they have him being dark and serious again. And so Hemsworth said, like, no, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this, because... Right, and so he brought in Taika to the, with the writers, like, help them figure this out. And James Gunn came in and helped with some of the Guardian stuff, but it's still, like, here's my question. I don't remember Quill and Gamora being in a romantic relationship at the end of Guardians 2. Okay, so when the whole, like, I love you, I'm like, since when? When did this happen? What's go- Wait, hold on. You guys are a couple now? <laughs> Ha <laughs> 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 
Right. It's like, I'm just like, wait, what, when are you guys a couple? I don't remember you being a couple. I haven't seen every movie, but I think I would have seen the one where you were a couple. <laughs> right? Because I'm like, she... is almost completely ignored. And, well, I will say, I did love Peter Dinklage's surprise cameo as... As the giant, or as they call him, the Dwarf King. <laughs> well, I, I do like the fact that what this movie does tend to do is show you the magnitude of Thor. Because, like, when Rocket's like, okay, I don't think you understand the scientific aspects of this. You're going to have to swing me around. It's going to have to be really fast. Like, yeah, leave it to me, Rabbit. I got this. Like, what are you talking about? And then he's like, oh, my God. Yeah, Valkyrie lives, but we don't know how or why. No, she wasn't, but the people were like, no, she didn't die. But we're like, we didn't know because she didn't freaking show her. <laughs> yeah, like apparently, like, I don't know. The Marvel's doing this weird thing where they're like, don't worry, everyone's coming back. Which everyone's like, no dub, we've been watching you. And then you have the writers going, you should just accept that everyone here is dead and move on to the next stage of grief. And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Right. Well, Well, and my argument for this not being a complete movie is simp is simply this. This will be the uh, first and last time we will think of this as one movie. Once the next Avengers comes out, we'll view them as one, and that's not a complete movie. Avengers 2, I, when I think about Avengers 1, I don't think about Avengers 2. <laughs> right! Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Which, by the way, the saving grace of this movie is the introduction of Captain Marvel as the single thing that will save us all. Right. Well, at the same time, I was talking to Koi about this, and she's like, because a lot of men have been like, this is lackluster, I, I could care less. And my wife's like, do you know how many women are just so fucking psyched for this? Oh, yeah. Right. Not only that, but apparently the pager, which I thought looked really stupid and weird, is like Kree technology or something like that. Right. Right. Well, then the structure of this movie is what really is the issue, because I'm like, why is Captain America here? <laughs> right, Based on the argument that it's just a popcorn movie, I'm f like Pauline Kale once uh, put as the best movie of the year a movie called Charade, which is an utter piece of fluff, but it's a spectacular piece of fluff starring Ed Audrey Hepburn, Cary Grant, George Kennedy, uh, Walter Matthau, and like I believe Lee Marvin. And it's, it's about nothing. It's just like a fun little caper movie. And she got a lot of crap for putting it as the best movie of the year. And she's like, yeah, it's just a popcorn movie, but it's so well made. This is just a popcorn movie. And I just, I don't think it's that well. Like, it's well made in aspects, but I've seen better just pure popcorn movies. Yeah. Right. 
Bye. Well, and this... Well, and you, you mentioned the part about they don't really introduce anybody. And Godfather Part 2 is the first movie to really have a Part 2 after the title, or one of the early ones. Before that, movies were, much like Marvel's uh, early structure was, it wasn't Captain America 2, it was Captain America Winter Soldier. The title was essentially going, it was ex- giving the benefit of the doubt to, you probably haven't seen the other one. So we're not going to call this part two. It's just going to be a different story with these characters. And you'll get a, a feel for it as you go along. And this is the first one I feel like it should be part one. Or part two or something. Because this is the first one that feels like it not only assumes, but demands. Right. <laughs> well, and if the second one isn't called, like I said, if Thanos Home Alone Part 2, I want no part of it. <laughs> right. Well, like, and this is a thing, like, I've seen some very valid criticism of Marvel does take chances. Marvel's very existence is a chance. Like, and, and again, Marvel's existence is so gutsy that there's an, an entire direct competition known as DC Warner Brothers that has almost collapsed upon itself trying to replicate an iota of that success. Like, they have... A trust fund of faith and goodwill between them and the audience that they have utterly bankrupted. <laughs> right. Right, that no one has ever been able to replicate. And as of, like, this is an historic thing. No one has ever built something like this. Right. Well, you said yourself you're getting tired of these movies. Uh, Koi told me she was getting tired of these movies. Well, at the very least, feeling like, ah, uh, just I need a break. And. Part of the thing is. Someone made the argument somewhere, I forget, like, in the old days, like, there's a lot of comparisons between comic, superhero movies, comic book movies, and how they used to make westerns and gangster movies and all that. Back in the old studio days. And someone made the point, it's like, they made 184 westerns in one year or something. And I'm like, this is true, but at the same time, 
you, you didn't hear about all 184 of those westerns constantly, every day. There was no television. There was no guarantee that those movies were coming to your town. There was like... <laughs> As opposed to every morning I wake up and every night I go to bed, there's going to be an article or something telling me about a superhero movie that I have to see because it connects to the... Uh, okay. <laughs> it's like right well what also bothers me is the like now let's talk about how this is the greatest Marvel movie of all time I'm like or you can wait a year <laughs> and figure out how you feel about it because I'm like it's really weird like you just saw it yesterday and it's the best one of them all like really gave that a lot of thought did you <laughs> right. So, that's our debate or discussion on how we feel. Right. And, like, there's one of those things where everyone else, like, did you see it? I'm like, yeah, what you think? It was good. It was amazing, right? And it was good. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, not only that, but just real quick. The notion of putting Tony Stark and Doctor Strange together in a room, trapped in a spaceship, is brilliant, and almost no fun comes out of it. In a very forced way, and it keeps saying old movies to the point where I'm like, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. That can't be a real name. <laughs> <laughs> not only that not only that but his response of no more pop, that's the last pop culture reference I went out of your mouth for the rest of this trip and I'm just like he made like what Like, it felt like a 1950s attempt to give me a teenager. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Alright. I, I will say, as mediocre as this movie was, I do think it sets up for some incredibly interesting things to happen down the line. I, 
I, I'm still on the train. I just don't like this particular junction. Can we please move on? And that's where we'll end Thad's excitement for a movie directed by Peyton Reed, whose debut was Bring It On. And then you know should you be because you had to just put it, he might be the most daring director working right now in the Marvelverse. Alright. No, no, it's just in terms of like how this movie is structured. Okay, so don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Don't check out the other podcasts on this site. Phantom Minimalist, Ladies First, Unabashed Book Snobbery. That's really all the time we have. Thanks for listening. How can they reach you, Thad? And Jay Sherman Fiction as well. I'll be not particularly mad at the movie because I'm thinking I'm dumb talking about it. All right. Have a good one, everybody.